Thank you. We thank you that in your bigness, God, that we aren't forgotten. Those things that can seem um, big to us um, are not small to you, are not insignificant. And so I thank you that that is true today, God. I thank you that we can rely on your bigness. We can rely on your truth. And I pray, God, that um, this song that we sang would, um, in many ways, just be the anthem of our lives, that no matter what we face together, we would acknowledge that you are greater. The greatest joys we experience, you are even more joyful still to know you and to be known by you. And the deepest and darkest valleys that we face cannot overcome the greatness of your light and your love, your mercy, your grace to us. And so I thank you, God, for who you are. Thank you that we can acknowledge that together. And I pray that every soul in this room would be encouraged and would know that the God that we sing to and worship this morning is great and mighty and worthy of our praise. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you can be seated. And I want to uh, just say a word of welcome, echoing um, Brother Frank. So glad to see every one of you and thank you that you are here to worship with us. I know in the holiday season, many of our family and friends are uh, traveling out of town on break. Um, but it's so, so good to see um, your faces and um, to gather together to worship Jesus um, is, a real, is a real joy. Um, this morning, just as uh, Frank alluded to, I know that the end of the year, and he even pointed out the end of a decade, can seem so weighty. There's much to consider, and as we look forward to a new year, it uh, never fails that we begin to think about uh, the things from this past year, the events that have unfolded behind us, and um, all that the year uh, involved and entailed. And I know for every one of you, it's a different story. And for some, um, you are rejoicing over all that God has done in 2019. And uh, as Frank uh, you know, said, some of us are ready for 2019 to end, and uh, thankful that a new year comes new hopes and dreams. And it is a little bit funny that the turning of a page on a calendar can be that significant. Nothing really will change that much on January 1st from December 31st, but the hopes of a new year and sort of the traditions that we take, they do lead us to have something to look forward to, and um, it can be a, a little bit of a marker for us. We can use those dates on the calendar as a marker, but throughout Advent season and Christmas, in our Christmas Eve gathering, we celebrated that God came to dwell with us, that God Emmanuel, He is with us, and He came to be with us, and He came, and He became like us, like a man. He was fully God, yes, but He was also fully man. There's nothing lacking about Him in terms of um, His humanity. He was just like us in so many ways. Of course, He was God as well, and the merging of those two things sometimes can cause our minds, we struggle to get our head around that truth, but those are the realities God did come to dwell with us. 
And when he came to dwell with us, he didn't just come and, again, he didn't just operate as sort of some superhero God, just sort of walking around and kind of hovering above us, but he was like us in every way, the Bible says, and he was tempted like us. As Matt read for us, he dealt with the temptation of sin. But the reason he could go to the cross and the reason that he was a right sacrifice when he would go and lay down his life is because he possessed a righteousness that we don't live with. He was holy, completely holy. And because of his holiness and his righteousness, because he didn't fail, he didn't fall to the temptations that came before him, he was a proper sacrifice. Sometimes we refer to Jesus as the better Adam. He was the one that was able to complete and be the man that God created all of us to be. And so as we do look forward to a new year and all those hopes and dreams and the desires that the new year brings with it, I would just submit to you as we think about our resolutions, I love what Frank led us to, that we should have our thoughts of the future and our hopes always painted with the mission that Christ gave us. But even underneath that, before we can even get to that place, we have to realize that fighting sin and eliminating sin in our lives must be our aim. If we are to do anything, if we are going to be successful in living on mission for Christ and and doing all the things that God has called us to do, at first we must eliminate sin. We have to work to do that. John Owen, who wrote a great book, a challenging book, but one that I would consider, would just suggest that is worth reading, called Mortification of Sin. He said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that's the truth, that everything that we might strive to do, if we don't kill the sin in our life, we don't eliminate those things that distract us and pull us away from God's mission and God's purposes for our lives, they will supersede. Again, I just want you to think back to this past year as we're recollecting, kind of thinking about the year and have that on our minds. And you don't have to do this right now, but over the next few days, consider those things that caused you to stumble, those things that tripped you up. If we're honest with ourselves, if we peel that onion back, we will realize that there's a sinfulness there. There's a sin in our flesh, in our hearts that we need to root out. And the only way for us to do that, and the beautiful thing about this fact is that we can do this, is that we figure it out, we confess that to Jesus, and he says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And we can be forgiven, and not only forgiven, we can be redeemed, we can be made new, and we can grow. I think back over my life and know I am far from perfect. I confess regularly from this platform I'm a train wreck. I got a lot of stuff that isn't right with me. But by God's grace, I look back over the years and I can see that Ryan in 2019 looks a little bit more like Jesus than Ryan did in 2018 and a little bit more like Jesus than Ryan did in 2017. And if I go back to long ago, 15, 20 years ago, I think about the the things that beset me, those things that caused me to stumble, the struggles that I had. By God's grace, he's given me many victories over those things. And my sinfulness looks differently. It is a constant battle. It's something I have to constantly fight against. But he is kind. He is merciful. And if we're going to achieve, if we're going to be who God created us to be, who God has called us to be, if we're going to live with the mission that he's given us, 
We must kill sin. We have to end it, and we have to just be real about it. One of the reasons that I think we struggle as a church, and I don't mean our church, I mean the church universally, is that we do not recognize and deal properly with the reality that we are sinful, broken people. That's not a very encouraging word. That doesn't lift you up. But it's the reality. We're sinful, broken people. Let's stop trying to worship ourselves and paint ourselves to look in some way and some light to the world, and let's worship Jesus who makes all things new. Let's bring our sins and our brokenness before him. Let's lay them down at the cross and let him be the one who receives all the glory for the victories that he brings rather than trying to continually prop ourselves up. I believe that if we, the church universal, would do that more consistently, one, our testimony of God's faithfulness to us would be so much greater. Do you struggle sometimes to just think about how has God been kind to me? How has God been good to me this year? Most of the time, if we ask that question, and that might have been a question or some frame of that kind of around the Christmas season, thinking about all of the goodness of God to us, you're going to think about possessions and achievements and accomplishments, very worldly things. Have you thought recently about the kindness of God to show you your own sinfulness and to redeem you from that and to give you forgiveness in that? That is kindness. That is kindness that we don't deserve. But that's the kind of kindness, that's the kind of mercy that Jesus offers us. But only when we come face to face and we're real about that. So as we look forward to these new, the new year and the things that we might set to achieve, I just would challenge you just to be real about the temptations and the, the things that can kind of come in the way. And we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with these things. You set a goal this year to, or, or a, a, a resolution to achieve more in your business, to be more successful in whatever God has called you to do vocationally. There's nothing wrong with that. That's not a sinful desire or thing to endeavor. We should work as under the Lord. We should do our very best in whatever God has called us to do. But be careful The enemy lies in wait. Greed and pride would love to devour you. Or maybe you set a goal to be a better friend or a more loving spouse or something relationally as you look to those around you. Again, great. Something worthy of us to aspire to, to desire in our lives. But be careful. You will be tempted to fear man over fearing God. There's a challenge. There's a an enemy who lies in wait. You desire to get in shape. If you follow my social media, you know I'm, I'm working, trying to get that belly down. I know it doesn't look it right now. Don't worry. <laughs> awesome. Gluttony is not a good thing. It's not healthy. But neither is vanity. There's always a tempter there. And we have to come to the conclusion that Jesus did for our lives. And Jesus came to the conclusion, realized that God's plans were the best plans. 
God's purposes were the right purposes. If we look at the text that was read for us, then Jesus, verse 1 of chapter 4, Matthew chapter 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Jesus had just been baptized, just sort of contextually here. Jesus had just been baptized, and the Spirit had descended upon him, and the Father had spoken from heaven, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And very quickly after, just almost immediately, the next thing that Matthew records for us is that Jesus is led by whom? By the Spirit of God into the desert to be tempted. And Jesus had resolved and knew that his purposes were to glorify the Father, to obey the Father. And because of that resolve, everything that he did and said after this was rooted in that reality. When you know something to be true convictionally, then all of the other decisions that follow are a lot easier, make a lot more sense. And that's one of the challenges that we have is I think we struggle to really know and, 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 and have this rooted in our souls that God's plans and purposes for my life are the best. And he is the only one that truly knows them as intimately as it can be known. He knows them. We sort of see through a mirror dimly lit, as one author would say. We, don't, we can't always tell exactly where God is, but we can trust him. We can trust his plans and his purposes. And when we know that convictionally, then the decisions that follow become a lot more easy. I talk to my sons very often about this, is that there are things that we do and, and, and just sort of attributes of our family and um, uh, uh, character qualities that we try to ingrain. Faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, mercy, the fruits of the Spirit, essentially. We try to root those convictionally so that when they come face-to-face with a decision, they come face-to-face with the tempter who is trying to dissuade them from following God's plan, when they come face-to-face with the enemy that says that this, this is a lie, what you have been told isn't really true, they know convictionally this is the truth. This is who I am. This is who God is. His plans are greater. If they come face to face with that problem, that challenge, that decision that has to be made, and they don't have that conviction rooted in their souls, they're going to fall. We all will. It's not because they're young. It's just because that's the reality of the world. Let me paint it for you a little bit more simply. I know Generally speaking, the Cowboys will disappoint me every year. I know that convictionally. And because of that, year over year, I have learned to not get so angry. When Des caught it, but they said he didn't, I had to go on a walkabout. I had to spend a few hours outside away from my family. It's sad, but it's true. Now I just know convictionally, Things are going to be disappointing. And now I don't get quite so upset. The decisions that I make, the way I lead my afternoons on Sunday is a lot more peaceful. There's a lot more joy in my home. You might not notice it if you came to watch with me, but I promise, deep in my soul, there's a difference there. When we know things, when, the reason that Jesus was victorious over the enemy that came to tempt him was because he knew the Father. And he knew the Father's plans. There was no question about what he was there to do. And so he was able to be obedient. He was able to follow 
the Father's plans. As I said, contextually, Jesus has just been led by the same Spirit that descended upon him at his baptism. He's now been led into the desert. One of the things that you probably know as well as I do, that very often when we experience the spiritual high when we are walking with the Lord and we feel so close to the Lord that just be wary, just be, re- just be real about this, that more than likely there is something coming after you. There's going to be a challenge that's going to come your way. How many of us have that testimony where we've been walking with the Lord and we've been just life has been going great and then very quickly we're in the deepest, darkest valley? We're facing that. That's because that's sadly just the way the broken world manifests itself. And Jesus was led by the Spirit. But here's the other thing that we should know. He was led by the Spirit of God into the desert. This wasn't on accident. This wasn't something that he just sort of found himself. Oh my goodness, I'm in the desert now. He had just been baptized. Just God the Father had just spoken. This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit of God led him to the desert. See, this world, and very often, unfortunately, in many churches, the, 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 the words that are proclaimed is that there is no desert. If you're following God obediently, if you're doing the things that God would call you to do, that your life will be nothing but sunshine and roses. Well, it wasn't for Jesus, and if it wasn't for Jesus, then how could we expect it to be that way for us? The Spirit of God led him into the desert, and very often the Spirit of God, his plans are better, and sometimes his plans take us into the wilderness, into the desert, into the hard place, because that's where he refines us. That's where he does some of his greatest work. I can tell you that there was a season when I was wrestling with my call to vocational ministry, and I had been enjoying life. Things were going great in the business that I was involved in. I loved everything that I was doing, and God began to stir in my heart this season. And and so for about three years, though, shortly thereafter, I was in a desert spiritually, wrestling with God, trying to figure out what it is that he had his purposes for my life. And it was in that three years of prayer and seeking God, trying to understand God, growing in his word, all these things, that God refined me and gave me whatever gifting I might have for the ministry that he would give me. It was a lot of that was developed in that season where I didn't understand what God was doing, where I questioned even how could things be going this way? Why would God lead me here? We need to realize that very often that's where God does his most significant work in our lives. See, Jesus, he knew God's plans And so he followed faithfully into the desert where he would be tempted, where he would be tried. He would face some of his greatest earthly challenges. So let's look at how Jesus himself fought sin, how he went about killing the sin that had tempted him in his own life. And perhaps we can grow, we can learn how we might be able to do that more faithfully in our own lives. So Jesus led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. Again, the purpose of him being led there by the Spirit was to be tempted. God was clear. He had a purpose there. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
the first temptation, the first sort of distraction that the enemy places before Jesus is the temptation for a life apart from God that you can live and you can be sustained by something other than God. He says, hey, command these stones. You're hungry? Command these stones to turn to bread. The enemy, by the way, had no doubt about who Jesus was. This wasn't something that he just came upon this man and thought, okay, let me tempt him. No, the enemy was hopeful that in Jesus' weakened human state that he might be able to distract him and pull him away from the plans that God the Father had. The plans for him to be the Redeemer who would go to the cross. If he could lead him astray here, he would completely destroy God's plans for redeeming the world. But God is more powerful than Satan. But he did allow Satan to tempt Jesus in this moment. And he says, you need to turn these stones to loaves of bread. You can eat. You can survive off of what you could create. Use your power. Do something other than what God, has, God the Father has planned for you, Jesus. How often do we find that we come upon a situation and we think, let me figure out a way around this. Let me figure out how to solve this problem on my own. That's my temptation. When I face a challenge, this is kind of what happens. Something happens in my day. I think about the situation. So I, I, I mess it up. I don't deal with it the way that I should have. And so I'm laying in bed at night. And as I lay in bed at night, I just go through my mind. It races over and over and over again. How can I correct this? How can I solve this problem? How can I fix the broken relationship that I created with my words? How can I fix this problem that was created? Something happened over here. Any, any, anything that goes wrong, I'm trying to think in my mind. What can I do to figure this out and to correct it? I don't know if you're like me. Maybe you just all are more faithful. You just trust God. He'll fix all of that. But more often than not, I think we find ourselves, we think, let me figure out a way around this. Let me kind of come up with a solution. How often do we go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to show us how we should live, what we should do? How often do we go to his word? Jesus fought sin and everything that follows this ultimately with the word. He says that man does not live by bread alone, but from the words of God. God's word. He has given us in this book everything that we need to know. Everything that we need to know for life. Everything that we need to know to be able to be whatever, successful. It's in this book. And how often do we try and figure things out on our own? How often do we try and make our own way rather than looking to God and trusting in his word and trusting in his purposes? Notice also the way that the tempter comes. He says to Jesus, if you are the son of God, Again, as I said before, he knew who Jesus was. But the first thing, one of the, as he opens up this questioning, he's asking him, are you really God? And that's something that I think we often, the reason that we don't take God at his word and that we don't turn to God, we don't lean on him, is that in our heart of hearts, kind of practically speaking, we don't always believe that God is God. We don't realize how quickly we can 
turn from treating Jesus as God to simply kind of a genie in a bottle. We don't believe that he is God. We don't act as if he is God, practically speaking. In the words of Ricky Bobby, we love our sweet eight-pound baby Jesus. We just celebrated sweet eight-pound baby Jesus. But we don't love, we don't believe that Jesus is the conqueror, is the victorious one, is the redeemer, is the Lord of lords and King of kings, that all authority on heaven and earth is given unto him and him alone. We don't believe that the creator of the universe who put the sun in the sky this morning, wherever bleakly we might see it, is the same Jesus who we worship at Christmas. We don't believe that he is God. Because if we really believe that he was God and we took him at his word, the things of this world would be so small, so insignificant, the ups and downs. I'm not making light of those things. I'm just saying that our eyes would be so firmly fixed, our convictional understanding that he is God would solve so many of our problems. And why do we not know that he is God? Because we don't know him through his word. We don't know his word. We don't really know him. We live as if we can control everything in our lives. That's a, essentially a practical denial that God is God. We can control everything. We have more power than he does. We live as if we are the center of the universe. That's a practical denial that God is God. We can do whatever we want. It's our world. Or one that we all struggle with in some form or fashion we just worry too much. We worry about every up and down, left, right, and we don't trust that God is God, that his plans are perfect, that his plans will be accomplished. They cannot be thwarted. His plans for you, friends, will happen. They cannot be broken or turned because he's God. We might also practically ask or sort of live as if Jesus isn't the true Messiah. Again, I don't think we really think this out. We don't all often say, no, I deny. In fact, none of us would say Jesus isn't the Messiah, I doubt in this room, or very few of us might. But what do we try and do? We try and act as if we are our own messiahs. We are our own saviors. Or that maybe someone else in the world can be our savior. We try and atone for sin through self-punishment or the punishment of others rather than trusting on the finished work of the cross. That's a denial that Jesus is the messiah and that what he has done is enough. We try and make others atone for sin. Again, sin that has already been paid for on the cross. We don't believe that we truly could be forgiven. That's a functional denial that Jesus is the Messiah. No, you don't know my sin. You don't know my brokenness. You don't know the mistakes I've made, Pastor. You're right, I don't, and I don't have to, but I do know that what Jesus did on the cross is enough to pay for it all. There's none that are beyond the grace of Jesus Christ. The only reason we don't experience and we don't receive that grace is because we try and take care of it ourselves rather than trusting in God. We don't believe that God loves us. 
All of these things are symptoms of the fact that we don't truly trust that Jesus is the Messiah, the one who came to give us life and forgive us of our sins. The enemy said, if you are the Son of God, and he whispers in our ear, is he really the Son of God? Is he really your Messiah? Are you sure you don't need to try and figure this out on your own? Are you sure you don't owe somebody something? Are you sure you better not take punishment for this, pay some penalty for this? And yes, there are consequences for sin in this world that we have to deal with. That's the reality. But spiritually speaking, what Jesus did, Jesus, when we sing the words, Jesus paid it all, those are true words. He paid it all. He is the Messiah. And so how do we fight sin? We do it through the way that Jesus did. He answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We fight sin by knowing God. By, and how do we know God? We know him through his word. When Jesus was in physical need, he went to the word because he valued God's word more than he did the satisfaction of his physical needs, whatever those might be. The word that is used for Satan here is accuser. Accuser, that's the literal translation that we read as Satan in our Bibles very often. He brings accusation against us. There's one accuser. It's the enemy. It's Satan. Jesus comes as the Redeemer. And we trust him and we know him as we know his word. After trying to tempt him there, and again, everything that follows, every temptation that the enemy puts, every accusation that the enemy puts before Jesus is essentially answered through his word, Deuteronomy. These are all quotes from Deuteronomy that Jesus uses, by the way, in response to the enemy. Then the devil in verse uh, 6, excuse me, verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Notice the enemy knows God's word. Do you know the word of God as much as the enemy does? We probably don't. We should. He knows God's word, and he tries to use it against Jesus. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him again from the word, from Deuteronomy. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He answers him through his word, and he says... God's plans and his purposes are the right ones. I'm not going to try and force those upon the Father. His timing, his place, his ways are higher than my ways. How often we try and say, well, if God is really God, if he is the Messiah, then he'll do this. And what I'll do is I'll try and kind of take this step or this action, and that will cause God to accomplish whatever he has for himself. Are you trusting in God's plan and his timing and all of the things that he has? Or in that moment, are you, in a sense, manufacturing, trying to figure out a way to get what you want under your own ways and under your own timing and for your own purposes? That's what it looks like when we try and tempt God, in a sense, as Jesus would say here. And that's rooted in the fact that we don't know God and we don't deal with him and we don't trust that his plans are best. Finally, he, the devil says one more time, let me try something else. None of this is working. Again, in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. 
Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, again, for it is written, the word of God, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. All three times, Jesus uses the word to combat the temptation to sin, to go against God's plan. And here, the enemy says, let me give you all the world. See, he thought that his way and his timing would be more sort of encouraging or more hopeful for Jesus. Did he not know that all the world was already Jesus's and all the world would be his and every king and kingdom would one day fall on their knees and worship him as God? That's one of the things that we can come and, and, and we need to realize is that everything is Jesus. There should be Jesus's. It's all his. He owns it all. Every knee will confess or every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That is the future. That's what is coming. And because we have that truth, we know that, we can live in light of that being the, the, the end. We can live with that hope. But again, that begins with us knowing God and knowing Him through His Word. How do we fight sin? How do we ensure as we look forward to all the things that we might want to see happen in 2020, all the dreams that we have for the coming new year, all those hopes and aspirations, those things that are, are probably good and worth uh, pursuing and endeavoring towards and working for and all those things, how do we ensure that in the midst of those things we don't get distracted and pulled away? We know God. And how do we know God? We know Him through His Word. If you don't make reading your Bibles, taking in God's Word, a daily part of your life, you're setting yourself up for failure, and practically speaking, friend, you're saying, I am God, I don't need Him. I have this life figured out, I don't need to know Him. I can do this better on my own than doing it His way. It starts with knowing God. So I want to encourage you in three ways. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus came and that we can know him. He laid down his life to give you life that you didn't deserve, and he wants you to know him. This is his kindness to us. He's given us this book so that we might know him. So three things. Read your Bibles every day. You have it on your phones. I want to encourage you, there's an app. There's a million of them, but there's, there's, there's one in particular that has blessed me just recently. It's called Dwell. If you want to download, it does have a cost to it. It'll read the Bible to you. It will read the Bible to you in any dialect or sort of language or uh, um, accent that you would like. So if you'd like to have it read to you in an African sort of uh, voice, in English, but, you know, with the African uh, uh, or Middle Eastern, um, to hear it maybe in its original, you can do that. It's a great app. Listen to the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Make the Word of God every, every day a part of your day. Do that. Secondly, believe that it is the Word of God. 
and believe God at his word. What you hear, what you read, what you take in, trust that this is God. This is his word and that we can know him. Because as we grow in knowing him and understanding him, that is how we have life. We don't live by bread alone. We don't live by the successes of our businesses or our schools or our, all the things that we might endeavor to. We live through the word of God. That's how we have life. That's where we find life. And so believe that you're hearing from God himself. I can tell you that this is a regular thought in my simple mind. I'll read, and very often, by the way, don't be confused, I get confused when I read this book sometimes. I find myself thinking, I don't know what you're trying to say to me, God. But here's another thought that comes to my simple mind. God just spoke to me. The God of the universe just said words to me. An idiot. You can laugh at that. He spoke words to me. I heard from Almighty God. This morning, just now, as we read this, as Matt read it for you, as I've read some of it again for you, we've heard from the God of the universe. Believe that. Because when you believe that you've heard from God, the, the power that comes with that. How many of us, y'all picked up on the fact that I'm a football fan. If you're new here, that's just that's kind of part of, that's who I am. I love that sport. I can tell you right now, if Coach Dabo Sweeney walked through that back door, I would say, hey, Coach, you need to come up here and talk. I'm going to listen to what that guy says. I, I happen to know a little bit of his testimony, and man, he, he's, he, dude, and especially if he said, hey, hey Ryan, after uh, we're done worshiping here, you want to sit down and talk some football? Oh, heck yeah. I'm going to listen. I want to, learn, I want to learn about football from that coach. That'd be awesome. I get to hear from God every day, anytime I want. I can open up and know God, not Davo Sweeney, this little thing that was created by that God. I can know God. Be amazed. You can hear from the God of the universe. That should blow our minds and our Bible sit on the shelves or our phones sit with every app stacked up against it and the Bible's the last one. You gotta kind of go way over here. Okay, there's the Bible. Some of you put it on the front page so that when it sits on your phone and then somebody turns it on, you can see, oh, there, you got the Bible. Or you put it on your desk and you know, it looks real nice there sitting on your desk and you know, the person walks in, oh, you're a Christian, so I'll kind of talk to you. I, I know how this world works. I'm plagued by the same sins that you are. But we can know God. Be amazed at that. Believe that when we read his word, that when we study it, we're hearing from God. And finally, not just knowing and, and making it a regular part of our day, not just believing it, but here is the, the final thread. Trust it. Trust God's ways. Trust his purposes. Perhaps this morning, you're here because the Spirit of God led you into the desert and you are in a desert right now and you're thinking to yourself and you thought to yourself last night before you went to bed, I'm in a desert and I need to hear from God. I need some help. And so the Spirit then led you here to gather and worship with us. But you are in your life in the midst of the desert. Trust God. Trust that His plans for you are not foiled because you're in a desert. In fact, he might have you there for a reason. He might be working in your life. 
if you would trust him. Don't lose hope. Don't doubt. Don't believe the lies of the enemy that says you're not loved, you're not good enough, there's, you, God has forsaken you, he's forgotten you. All of those lies, again, there's one accuser. You can know that it's the accuser if he's speaking something into your heart and into your mind that goes against what he has already said in his word. So this is a reason that we need to know his word because when we hear the accusations, we need to realize, no, that doesn't jive. Sorry, devil, you ain't got me there. What Jesus says about me is that I have been paid for when he laid down his life on the cross. Jesus says that I'm his son. I'm the son of God. That, uh, I'm not forsaken. I'm not forgotten. This is what God says about me. This is who I am. So trust him. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I got a sinus infection. It's terrible. Sorry about that. But those are good words to remember. Trust and obey. Trust God. Obey his word. Believe. And make his word a part of every day of your life. You can know God. You can know him. You can believe him. And you can trust in him. That's the testimony of my life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the miracle that is your word. The fact that I can know you. I'm not worthy of that because of anything within myself. I know that to be true. That is your kindness to me. So God, I pray that you would help us all to be a people who trust your word, who go about the business of killing the sin in our life by looking to you, by trusting you, by believing you. As we look forward to all the hopes and joys of this coming new year, God, I pray that you would allow us just in these next few days even just to spend some time looking at our hearts, confessing our sins to you, and trusting in your good news that what you did on the cross, Jesus, was enough. I pray that every soul in this room would know that. And if there's anyone in this room that does not know that truth, God, I, Holy Spirit, move in their hearts right now, even as we begin to sing just allow them just in their place, continue speaking to their hearts. Allow your truth to reign. We love you, God. We thank you for your word. And now we sing of the great hope that we have because of you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 1030 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.